0: And if there is a slight, small, tiny little chance of inflation, then that is just gonna be uh, transitory. Oh, that word transitory. Oh, everything is transitory, right? If If you wait long enough, life is transitory. This podcast, your dog, your parents, everything, we're all transitory. It's like everything is walking distance if you have the time. Welcome to an all-new episode of the McFuture Podcast, predictions and prescriptions for a world drowning in shitty economists, but starved for meaning. So today, I'm going to start by talking about something that I think every podcast should start with, which is taking a huge, wet dump on economists and I'm going to make my case. So hold on. And I know economics sounds super boring, but it's, it's really what's affecting all of us right now. Like we're all drowning in inflation it takes like $4,000 to fill up your truck. And I know everyone who watches has a truck because we had the giveaway last month. We gave out like 40,000 trucks. And um, anyway, everything about what's happening was 100% foreseeable and preventable. I I posted this uh, April, 2020. I wrote, not only is a $2.2 trillion rescue package possible, but virtually unlimited lending and stimulus guarantees a devalued dollar. For those with savings, there's almost no choice but to buy assets, hence price inflation. All interventions distort. I posted that April 2020. And these hacks still have the nerve to talk. This guy drives me nuts. So uh, Robert Reich, who was the little diminutive troll who worked for Clinton as the labor secretary, this guy never shuts up. So he just posted again, I'm sorry, but I'm tired of billionaire children of emerald miners telling us how the economy works. Now here he's referring to Elon Musk. Meanwhile, Elon Musk is single-handedly driving the uh, electric vehicle market. Without him, none of this would have happened. Now, he's got a lot of flaws. There's, you know, the guy's into memes. There's a lot of things you could criticize about Elon Musk. But to diminish the guy's accomplishments with this kind of dismissive nonsense. So I decided to go back and see how right this troll is. I went back to November 15th, 2021. When inflation was already, you know, starting to take off quite a bit or or had been going for a while, he goes, build back better, which by the way, was trillions of dollars proposed is going to be paid for. It's all paid for. It doesn't increase the deficit. It doesn't increase the deficit. It doesn't contribute to inflation. So why is Joe Manchin worried it will? He would be adorable as a troll if he wasn't so self-righteous and so wrong about everything. He posted November 15th. We already knew a bunch of stuff was going down and the prices were going up. The confidence of someone who is wrong so often, and there's so many of these people. There's another woman who lovely woman. I have nothing against her. She's prominent. She's written for some major newspapers. She used to work for, you know, a a very important government organization. And I saw this chart that basically showed that job growth was already above whatever was projected. It was on this huge trajectory. I said, does it not temper the urgency somewhat of passing a stimulus bill? She wrote back, no. Read my piece. I talk about the path so this was on march 3rd 2021 wrong as can be all of these people Undeterred, And she was also really wrong about job numbers, about all kinds of things. But they're so certain, the confidence of people who, these bureaucrats who have nothing at stake, at least Elon Musk put something at stake. The guy put his entire life savings on the line to build Tesla and to build SpaceX. And yes, he had some loans from the government and nothing is clear cut. But at least these people are building something that you can drive in, that you can can use solar panels, tunnels, uh, cars, electric vehicles, something that's of use. And it gets worse. In September of 2021, I think it was how many of them? Uh, Let me see one second. A bunch of Nobel economists, I think there were like 15 of them, wrote a letter endorsing the Build Back Better Biden agenda. That's almost like a tongue twist right there. Sir Angus Deaton. These people have been knighted. (laughs) They, they probably have to wear armor to work because they are royalty or whatever the knight is in in British nonsense. You know, (laughs) they had to, they probably had to make out with the queen at some point, which I would imagine you have to do if you're getting knighted. I mean, you have to thank her somehow. And you know, she's an old lady. She likes to have some fun. Right. Uh, so all of these people, uh, you know, their names, Kahneman, uh, uh, (laughs) there's people who've been on this podcast, uh, Paul Romer, they're all at top schools, Harvard, Stanford, NYU, Yale, Princeton, all of these overeducated people wrote a letter endorsing the agenda saying, oh, none of this could possibly go wrong. There can be no inflation. And if there is a slight, small, tiny little chance of inflation, then that is just gonna be uh, transitory. Oh, that word transitory. Oh, everything is transitory, right? If If you wait long enough, life is transitory. This podcast, you're, you know, your dog, your you know uh, your parents everything we're all transitory. It's like everything is walking distance if you have the time I guess unless it's over water or something but yeah if you have 46 hours you can probably walk to Texas uh, from wherever you are but that's the thing it's just the overconfidence of these people I think we should, take their Nobel prizes and whittle them down into little dildos. Because once people prove that they don't know what the hell they're talking about, we should take all of their prizes and turn them into something useful. And I, I don't know, you know, maybe not dildos, uh, butt plugs. I, I, I don't know the difference between the two really, you know, shape maybe. But um, if you know someone who's of that craft, please reach out to me because I want to make that connection between the Nobel Prize holders and the people who can turn those prizes into something that we could all use. These guys and, and politicians can afford to be dispassionate and pontificate about this stuff. Meanwhile, families are the ones that are paying the price. You know, transitory thing. It's like, hey, let's just invent money and let's print it, print out as much as you can. No, there's an there's an end. There's an end to all of that. We have reached it. And all these people who wrote books, there was a woman uh, economist, Stephanie Kelton, she wrote a book about MMT, it basically saying, hey, you know, we, we could solve all our problems if we just print more money. And this modern monetary theory, it really is the ultimate ugly American philosophy. It's basically saying, hey, we can print out as much money and send that Money to third world countries to send us their physical goods. So they're breaking their backs, working, making our iPhones, and God forbid they don't. They're gonna jump out of that building and they're gonna hit that net, bounce right back into Foxconn and have to keep working. And so they have to make our stuff for dollars we made up because people like Stephanie Kelton go, hey, we we could make more of these, right? Anyway, it's 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 so crazy. It's so crazy to me, the things we would entertain when things were good. The reason things were good was because we weren't making insane decisions. We were making great ones, but we weren't insane and we slipped into insanity. And uh, there was a guy who posted this guy, Rich Hartman posted on Twitter, a whole thread about this local Mexican restaurant. So basically for five years, he used to order five entrees with rice and beans and it was about 90 bucks. Then he placed an order for four entrees and it was $110 for the same food. And he's like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to keep ordering from these people. And it's not their fault. They're just trying to survive. They're trying to get by, but, but he's not alone. All their other customers are going to go, Hey, listen, you know, we can't keep ordering at these prices. So now this business is going to die off because you know, all of the good intentions and all of the money printing, there is no free ride. There is no free. At some point you have to produce uh, the goods behind the money that we produce because the money is easy to produce, but the good and the exports and all of the economic activity that we need to produce and export, that stuff is much, much harder, and we haven't been doing much of that. Anyway, so, you know, these, uh, this Mexican restaurant owner, is his rent going to go down? Are his taxes going to go down so he could, you know, offset some of the, the price hikes? No, of course not. Customers are just going to go out less often. They're going to switch to cooking at home or some, you know, who knows? They're going to they're gonna go through dumpsters if things get really rough. So this, we are hurting working People And the beneficiaries here are big companies because, you know, they can spread their losses and price increases and whatever across a a lot more restaurants, a lot more locations. This guy's got uh, this Mexican family has got all their eggs in this one basket. So they're getting fucked. They are getting fucked by all of these economists and all these douchebags writing letters about how they support this stupid uh, uh, printing of, of money. And you know what? I gotta tell you, and the the guy who drives me the most nuts is Paul. Am I I a little unhinged on this episode? I don't care. Because I'm really, I'm really annoyed. I'm really annoyed. Paul fucking Krugman. This guy never shuts up. I hope his Nobel Prize is absorbent because he, there's so much shit that it needs to absorb. This guy is wrong so often. He's such an elitist hack and he's snooty on top of it. He posted this this is December 11th, 2021. He tweeted, quote, uh, well, this is him quoting somebody else. Inflation especially hurts the poor, has truthiness. It sounds like it should be true, but I don't see either evidence or a mechanism. And then a guy responded right underneath, just like, you know, some regular Joe on Twitter said, you must be joking. If you have $10 and spend $4 instead of the usual $3 on food because of inflation, food goes from 30% of your income to 40%. If you have $100 and the same thing happens, food goes from 3% of your income to 4%. Additionally, low income people have fewer options for rendering the cost of necessities cheaper because they're already on the cheaper options. It's not like they can drop down from bounty paper towels to like, you know, whatever the store brand crappy one ply paper towel is they're already on the one ply now it's just no ply now it's just like waiting for it to rain to wash (laughs) wash your dirt off like there's no other tier for people who are already at the bottom rung the elitism, it is infuriating. I used to follow him and it, and I kept unfollowing him and, and, and then I would forget, because I don't know, maybe I have bad short-term memory or something. And I was like, why do I always unfollow him? And then he'll post something obnoxious like this. I'm like, of course, this is why I always unfollow him. Because like, you wanna know what people you disagree with uh, think, especially ones of prominence. God knows why he's of prominence, because he's wrong so much. They're all wrong so much that it just drives me insane. And now, The Atlantic uh, wrote an article why all these people were wrong, why all the economists were wrong. So I'm going to give you my opinion on why I think they're wrong, but they made some valid points. So I'll give you the four reasons The Atlantic wrote about. So the first one was that they were fighting the last war, which basically means that the problems were different this time around than the last recession. So they treated the uh, pandemic recession kind of like they treated the 2008 recession but they were completely different the other one had to do with housing and financial instruments and cdos and over over-leveraged financial institutions there's a completely different dynamics and also there's insane amounts of stimulus so much money trillions of dollars were pumped in either through loans or direct payments or unemployment insurance so it was just nothing nothing was similar and so they they basically put it through a lens that made no sense which you know, I, I did an episode on this uh, on rese- uh, what I do <laughs> on, on the COVID financial thing. It was, I think, like episode five or six of my COVID series. Anyway, you could go back and, and listen to it. I was, I think I was pretty close, way closer than these guys. Cause number two, why these guys are wrong. Data overload. So now we have all these data sources. So people can look at like open table reservations. They had the COVID data. They had like consumer confidence statistics and, Yes, there's some truth to that, but you should be able to differentiate signal from the noise. And the other problem here is this interplay between shaping and reading economic signals, because at the same time, they were advocating for all of these uh, stimulus packages and all this other stuff. They were also uh, trying to predict stuff like They affect each other. You can't just predict (laughs) when you're... It's like, you know what it's like? It's like going to a fortune teller and the fortune teller starts kicking you in the nuts and goes... Listen, I predict your kids might be born dizzy. So it's just that, basically, it's like it's like yeah, you're affecting the outcome. You're making the kids dizzy. I was going to use the pregnant woman example, but I thought that (laughs) may be a little too far. I I don't want to plant that image in people's heads. Anyway, the third thing is bias. The example that The Atlantic used was the she session, which is uh, uh, the douchiest of words. I think it was uh, (laughs) Justin Trudeau, who is the douchiest of people, uh, used it in some of his examples but essentially it was like a recession for women that they were going to leave the workforce and they had all these theories never none of it panned out none of it turned out to be true it was all bs Not that it was bs it was just when you pump something through such a biased lens, you're not, you're never going to get an accurate picture. You have to take as much bias out of it as you can. And that's their point here. Uh, A lot of the data was produced by advocacy organizations. So for example, the example that they gave, so the Aspen Institute, uh, Published this eviction study, and it was co-written by think tanks and academic institutions that have a stake in you know lowering rents or housing policy. So these were all partisans that have a specific point of view. They were pumping all of this stuff into you know all this noise into the ether, and it was affecting what people thought. And most academics have a left-wing bias. That's just the reality. Uh, even in economics, I think all of that academia to like 90% and then economics was like 80 something. Anyway, um, the fourth cause that they gave is underestimating resilience. People are creative. People are, you know, they have ingenuity, ingenuity. What is, what is that? Uh, they have ingenuity. They can solve their own problems. Not everyone is sitting there like a dumb baby bird waiting for the government to put a worm in their face. No, they people adapt. They, they're like, oh, rents going up. I better go move to a place that's cheaper, or I'm going to move in with my parents for a while, or I'm going to you know uh, consolidate rents with with some roommates. You know, people adapt, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, it, and it always happens. And so this idea that government is the savior and the only savior is absurd because you can't from top down guess what every situation is going to be and then uh, help people in that way. People are good at adapting on their own and maybe direct payments helped a little bit and unemployment payments that helped, but it also pushed payments above what people were making in some cases uh, in their jobs. So then they didn't go back to their jobs. And then a bunch of companies had shortages and also weren't able to pay uh, the, the higher demands. So there's something to be said for fairness and fairness in employment. But There's also a lot more to be said for distortion. And whenever you pump trillions of dollars into anything, you are going to distort and you're going to screw with things and you're going to change people's decisions and you're going to create inflation as in this case. And in general, economists might understand economic theory, but what they don't really understand that well is technology and culture. And Culture also breaks down to human condition and sociology. Um, There's an economist who uh, wrote a book about how people don't behave in logical, expected ways. So he won a Nobel Prize, which, (laughs) given what I've uh, discussed so far, might end up being used as a dildo. Um, They have blind spots and not understanding this interplay between economic theory and how people actually behave in psychology of people and technology. And these are not impartial people. Once you have a political philosophy you want the government to implement, or you just want bigger government in general, you're no longer an unbiased source. The other part is these guys, these consensus economists, the ones who work for these big um, financial services companies or whatever, They're hanging on to their jobs. They are corporate people. And corporate people, by definition, are risk-averse. No one wants to stick their head out with some crazy projection, even if it might be correct, and have their head cut off because they deviated so far from the rest of their colleagues. So these guys are defaulting to the mean on purpose. And the same thing happens in mutual fund management. Like a lot of these managers, they kind of try to stay close to the index. So a lot of their portfolio sometimes is just index funds. And then they have one or two bets just, you know, to see if they can get some extra juice in their performance, but they don't want to lose sight of the index. And eventually they all do because the index beats like 90% of them over five and 10 year periods. So we're listening to People who are clinging to jobs, not uh, trying to make correct predictions. And a lot of it is just structural. They, that's just the type of person who goes into that type of job. And so I don't hold it against them, but I hold it against us for listening to them because we should know better. And of course, policymakers, they use this as an opportunity. Of course, that the famous uh, quote from Rahm Emanuel, who uh, was the chief of staff for Barack Obama, never let a crisis go to waste. When people are scared during a pandemic, you can push through all kinds of stuff, all kinds of pet projects. Anything can slip through. When you've got a 2.2 trillion dollar bill, you can pay back a lot of your political donors, and that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did with schools. They they gave so much money to like I don't know 100 billion or more, 200 billion to schools. What, what happened? They didn't even open. The school's never opened. What happened to that money? What happened to that money? I want to know. There has been no accounting of it. And anytime someone asks for an accounting of anything, they're like, oh, we, can't, we couldn't possibly do that. Uh, just recently, um, Rand Paul, uh, he was the only vote against the $40 billion to Ukraine because he said, look, look, I, I, I'd I, vote for this, but you also have to add a some sort of an audit so we know where this money's going. And they're like, oh, audit, how dare you? How dare you, Rand Paul, ask for an audit? And so none of this stuff is audited. It's just tossed into the ether and it's like, eh, eh, this'll work out it doesn't work out. It screws people, it screws the economy, and none of these people are managing this money like it's their money or like it's even real. What I think should actually happen, I don't know the mechanics of it, I'd have to think it through, is all of these macroeconomists should have an ETF, an ex- exchange-traded fund or a mutual fund, in market that implements all of their great ideas, all of their thoughts about international markets, about inflation, about sectors, and how they're gonna be affected. And then we can look back and see what the performance was of their publicly traded ETFs. I think it's completely doable in terms of the mechanics. Hire me, I'll figure out how to do it. But it's totally possible. And that way we know which people are a joke and which ones are, you know, should be sitting on their statues. <laughs> their Nobel statues. So the greatest hero of all for both Democrats and Republicans, it turns out, is Joe Manchin. So whether you think Joe Manchin did it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, and you know, you can make an argument. He's got some donors that he might have needed to appease, or maybe, you know, his constituents don't like these big uh, government packages, whatever it is, even if you disagree with his reasoning, you cannot disagree with the fact that this man single-handedly saved the Democrats from 15 to 20% inflation. Because if that built back better, the 2.2, or no, I think the original was over 3 trillion. If that passed, we would be... This, I'm telling you, we would need Zelensky defending our capital if gas got to $10 a gallon. And we're getting close. <laughs> we're going to have to fly in Zelensky here. We're like, listen, you know, put, put Ukraine on pause. We need you here. We, you know, get, we'll get you all the weapons you need. Like We need to protect you from all the January 6 people because they're coming. The fat ninjas from January 6. The Democrats should be grateful because whatever they're going to lose uh, if they lose in the November elections, they would have lost double or triple that if uh, if this passed. And the Republicans, in theory, should be grateful because you know that that package didn't go through. Everyone should be happy, but no one is ever happy. And certainly by this episode, clearly I'm not happy either. But at least I'm turning this into some sort of sexual implement that could be used by economists and, you know, the proletariat alike. Just a quick word on that $40 billion that was approved. I think it was like a unanimous vote by the Senate and, and uh, Congress. It was close to unanimous. When they believe in something, oh, it'll pass. It'll pass so quickly. They will find that money and they will get it to where it needs to go immediately. They keep pumping more and more into the military industrial complex almost unanimously every single year, both parties. And this is an orgy. This is just great business for them. So they found that money in no time. What does that say about all the other issues? What does that say about poverty, water in Flint, homelessness, healthcare, education, crime, infrastructure, all the stuff, they keep blowing up our asses every single election cycle and nothing ever changes. They don't give a crap about black people, about homeless people, about crime, about education, about healthcare, because if they did, they can come up with the money in no time. This is not about the money. This is just about winning. This is just about power. These people need to have their power removed. And by that I mean shrinking the federal budget. There's not some libertarian thing. I'm not saying, oh, we have to shrink the government. Yes, we could make an argument for that too. But even at the same level of spending we have today, just bring it all down to the state and local levels where at least people are accountable, where at least you have to drive by, if you're a politician, some of the people who are affected by your policies, someone who's you know in, lives in your neighborhood and can say, "Hey, you screwed up the schools, you screwed up the trains, you screwed up the buses. Why? Why are the why is the snow not cleared?" Those are the people who are going to be accountable, and that affects people's lives way more. And they can be much more accountable than these federal bullshit artists because these guys are accountable to nobody, and it shows because when they need to uh, to find that money for whatever cause lines their pocket. Or, or or feeds the the military. They can do it. So don't let either party and don't make it oh it's Democrats. They're both complicit in this and we need to take their power away. That means it needs to go local because the local politicians, you might not like a a particular governor or a particular uh, mayor, but at the end of the day, they have to make real decisions. They can't just be blowhards on Fox or MSNBC. They have to to be accountable for a budget. They have to manage something. They have trucks moving. They have buses. They have trains. They have all kinds of teachers and schools and all that stuff. So that stuff has to go. It has to move out of federal government completely. We have to bring it down to the federal government to just trade civil rights and maybe, and defense. And even that needs to be cut. But that's about it. Everything else, local. That's it. That's my rant on economists. Uh, Stay tuned. I'm going to do another great episode right now on whether we're going to have a recession or not. I'm Steve Factor. Thank you for listening to the McFuture. There's going to be tons of episodes on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash McFuture. I am back and I'm back with a vengeance and you're going to love it whether you love it or not. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. Anyway. Hope you enjoyed it. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell an economist. We have dildos for them.